أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وضرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم النكاح من سنتي وقال عليه الصلاة والسلام ومن رغب عن سنتي فليس مني وكما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام وصدق رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم All praises to Allah and may his peace and blessings be upon his servant and messenger our master Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam said in one hadith that marriage is my sunnah and he said in another hadith that whoever turns away from my sunnah he's not one of us and one of the catastrophes and calamities of this age which truly push it in the d- direction of uh, a, a Dajjalic character is the breakdown of family in a, an extended sense and then thereafter a type of meaninglessness that has come to define the relationship between a husband and a wife. Part of it, unfortunately, has been a Kool-Aid that was all too readily and quickly imbibed by the Muslims. Especially those who have a propensity to a modernist mindset. And one of the primary messages I want to give to you, I'm sure none of you guys watch movies, you're far too pious for that. But pretend like I'm like wounded Robocop from the future who went back in time to give you advice that's relevant to you in terms of what I think I would have had needed to hear if I was at your point in life. For you see, I'm right now uh, on the ship and it's about to sail away from the dock. My youth is gone and now I'm going to uh, be irretrievably lost into unclehood. And I used to be one of you. This is one of the differences between me and like the weird pantheon of like Muslim speakery type people in America is that I actually was an MSA member. I was the one who used to put out the carpets for Jama'ah. I, I was the one who used to book the rooms. I used, you know, I, I gave khutbah because back in those days, nobody wanted to give khutbah. Now, mashallah, everybody is like, you know, taking a weekend workshop and trying to polish their skills or whatever. In those days, nobody wanted to. People would say things. I know you guys will find it hard to believe. They used to say things like, oh, I don't have enough knowledge to give khutbah. I'm not qualified. You know, that was a different time. And uh, I was the president of our MSA for quite some time. We had a lot of fun and games that we used to do. We moved our Jum'ah to a masjid that was in Frat Row. Uh, I don't know if there's a Frat. Is there a Frat Row in this? Yeah, right? We, we, actually had a, we actually bought a building. We didn't buy it, but we like legally retrieved it from like condemnation. And then we turned it into a masjid, mashallah. And uh, uh, um, we did a lot. You know, it was a very active and vibrant time. Uh, we were agitating. Many MSAs, I noticed, now have like a tension between uh, some people who want to be activist and some people who want to be spiritual. 
you know, and so they kind of like are at loggerheads with each other. We used to do like everything. We used to have protests. We used to get threatened with getting our MSA banned. And we, we would have like uh, ulama coming through. It was a very vibrant time in life. And look at me now talking like a, like, like a 40-year-old balding guy about like his heyday and like glory days and like high school football, right? <laughs> I have some, some connection with this uh, life that you're living but the difference is what is that then afterward after taking the MCAT I got bored I said I don't want to do this anymore I want to go and study Dean so I took a different route in life than many of you may take maybe some of you will take uh, take that route as well but most of you probably won't and it's probably for the better the Qadr Mushtarak the common denominator is what is that you have to know what you want out of your life and what's important for you out of your life and you have to go after it you have to plan for it if you don't plan for it it's not going to magically happen one of the problems that we have in deen is that we have like magical thinking when it comes to islam you understand intuitively if you don't put gas in your car your car is going to run out of gas and it'll get stuck somewhere on the highway or on a side street somewhere that you want you don't want to get stuck but when it comes to the deen, we don't have this like type of common sense. Whereas the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi and his companions, they had this common sense. And so one of the things that a person needs to do and needs to make priority for is what? It's for their marriage. Why? Because if there is uh, no good marriage in the society, there's a number of mafasid. There are a number of mafasid. What is a mafsada? It's something that spoils things. Something that makes things rotten. The thing that was pure and clean, it makes it rotten. There's a number of mafasid that are built upon the structure, the foundation of, uh, of, of not having proper marriage in society. So you'll probably hear a number of things from me. You won't hear from other people unless you go and study uh, uh, an inordinate amount of time and read a lot of books. We turn our attention to a, a 17th century scholar from the Indian subcontinent by the name of Shah Waliullah, rahimahullah ta'ala. Uh, his relevance to you and I is that uh, about 85% of the living uh, uh, asanid of hadith, the hadith are still, the hadith of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, are still transmitted with an unbroken chain. The chain of narration didn't stop with Bukhari and Muslim. Rather, we all, you know, all of us who studied hadith, we have unbroken chains uh, uh, of transmission for the, for the hadith of the Prophet. I read the Sahih Bukhari from my Shaykh uh, Sayyid Mahmoud Mia, who read from his father. The Sheikh Sayyid Hamid Mia, who read from his Sheikh Sayyid Hussein Ahmed Madani, ta'ala, who taught the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, in the Ottoman times in the Masjid of the Prophet, وسلم, who read from his Sheikh uh, Rashid Ahmed Gangohi, ta'ala, who read from his Sheikh uh, Shah Abdul Ghani Al Mujaddidi. Uh, he was Dehlawi, he wasn't uh, one of the Afghani Mujaddidis. Shah Abdul Ghani Al-Mujaddidi Rahimahullah Who read from his Sheikh Shah Ishaq Who read from his uh, uncle Shah Abdul Aziz Who read from his father Shah Waliullah Rahimahullah Ta'ala And then the Sanad goes back then to the, to the different books uh, 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 from there So Shah Waliullah writes in one of his books Hujjatullah Al-Baligah Which is a, a synthetic uh, philosophy work of the type that um, Isn't written in the modern age anymore He makes the observation that many of our science geeky type people, where's Nero? There you are, right? You'll appreciate this, right? He mentions that amongst most mammals, the process for mating is as follows. And you can tell me, is this true or not? The males will get together and they'll all fight with each other until one of them emerges dominant 
through brute force, through his ability to inflict pain on his rivals. And then all the females will be, as, uh, will, will be uh, for his until he can be challenged by another male who can unseat him from his dominance. And then all the females will go with that male. This is essentially true. There may be some exceptions, but it's essentially true, is it not? No, I mean, like, not especially, like, as far as I can tell, in a number of species, but in mammals, almost, almost all mammals are like this. What's the, like, evolutionary benefit of this? Evolution's around. Calm down for a second, okay? <laughs> We're not talking about Akida right now. It's a scientific theory. We can discuss it without it, like, without, like, you know, like, you know, saying that I 100% buy into, like, everything that you think I'm buying into right now. What's the evolutionary benefit conferred by this system? It's what? Because only the strongest genes are passed along. Why? Because one male can mate with a number of females without too much difficulty, whereas the other way around, it doesn't work. So this is why the, the alpha male will mate and the beta males won't. And the, uh, uh, the, the females, all of them will mate. And so Shawaliullah, he mentions something. He mentions that this uh, system, which seems to work for the wild animals, doesn't work for human beings for a very particular purpose, which is what? Civilization is a collaborative uh, project. No matter how much you can bench press, no matter how much you can squat and power clean, no matter how fast you can run the mile, right? No matter how long you can hold your breath, how high you can jump and slam the ball, if you can break the backboard when you stick your tongue out when you uh, 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 slam dunk, right? Michael Jordan to you guys is like Will Chamberlain, right? Like you're like, who is that? It's like he used to be the LeBron back in my day, okay? That's how I explain that. Back when I was your age, when I was young. Huh? No. No. My, my beard has turned gray. And when a person starts to think I'm still young, this is a sign you become old. There's two things. If someone says I'm young, they're old. And if someone says I'm not crazy, they're what? Anyway, right? Someone walks in and says, I'm not, I'm not crazy. Then what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Right. So the idea is this, is that, is that, is that, uh, uh, is that no matter how, how freakish of a show that you can make uh, 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 with regards to your like, evolutionary fitness and your dominance physically, or even, you know, through your smarts, you know, certain animals, certain, not every alpha makes it to the alpha position. If you observe animals, people should watch uh, animal documentaries, by the way. BBC has really awesome animal documentaries. Why? Because your ilm of Islam only is functional on the basis of being a, 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 being a complete and whole human being. And after watching animal documentaries, I realized there are a lot of human beings, forget about being a human being, just being a proper animal. If you can muster this type of common sense that most animals have, then you can have a shot at being a human being. If you have a shot at being a human being, you have a shot at like, being a good Muslim, right? So, you know, sometimes the animals will reach the position of dominance through their cunning as well, through their intelligence, their ability to plan, etc., etc. However, no amount of intelligence, cunning, no amount of physical brute force will allow for civilization to be built. Civilization requires collaboration. And this is why the human being shifted from the model of all of, uh, all of the other mammalian uh, species and embraces the model of what? That uh, there should be a, 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 a man and a woman they should be married with one another. Why? So that all of us can get along because we're going to need all of our hands in order to make this thing work.
In fact, the Sharia limits, this is one of the questions, this is not a very like nice thing to say uh, in terms of modern sensibility. You can tell I've been in the madrasa too long when I mention things like this, otherwise other people have common sense uh, not to mention. Them. But even the Sharia limits, even polygamy, which was unlimited from before, and it's still unlimited today. Do you think everybody walking around outside who screams and shouts that marriage is between like one man and one woman, or one woman and one woman and one man and one man, and they're swiping left and right, you know, like uh, 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 openly, right? Polygamy is a fact. Everybody accepts it. Just people accept it, and they have different ways of like expressing that. You know, based on their different cultural legal traditions, right? Islam limits it to to to, to four. Why? Because imagine if out of all of us, right, this guy's making six figures, this guy's making seventy thousand, this guy's making thirty thousand, this guy's making a hundred thousand, and and then bam, and then like one of one of one of you is making like three billion dollars. Okay, what's going to end up happening? It's going to cause an imbalance which will make what happen? It will make the collaborative process break down. Why? Because all of a sudden there's a need that the, that the, the, the other men don't have a way of having fulfilled. And it's going to drive them from the, the level of thinking that's required in order to sustain civilization down to, uh, down to basically back to the like, law of the jungle where people will challenge each other for that alpha position. Right? And Islam is, there to, Islam is there to mitigate that. Why? Because the civilization is not going to happen except for collaboratively. This is, if you look at, if you think about, if you think about uh, uh, phases in human history, why is it that the French Revolution was so important? One of the reasons it was so important is that what? The, the, the estate of the commoners is like a majority of the, the people in society and they're completely useless. All of a sudden, after the French Revolution ousts the clergy and ousts the, uh, uh, the, the, the landowning noble class and at least militarily makes uh, every commoner and peasant uh, have the right to bear arms because that's what, the, what made the nobility the nobility before. It's not that they were nice people and they used to speak elegantly or whatever. It's that they had the right to bear arms whereas the commoners didn't have the right to bear arms. Right? The, 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 the word for gentleman in Spanish is what? Anyone? No? I'm disappointed. No. Hombre is man. Caballero. Which means what? Literally means horseman. It's a knight. Right? The noble class, the thing that distinguished them from the commoners is that they had the right to bear arms. Whereas the commoners didn't. All of a sudden the French Revolution happens. Now everybody can become a soldier. Now France punches above its weight class militarily and it ends up taking over the whole, like m much of Europe. And it makes the classical blunder of starting a land war in Russia in winter, which don't ever do that if you ever are in that position. Right? They even, any Egyptians here? You wonder, do you ever know why the, the Sphinx, the nose is blown off the Sphinx? ISIS blew it up, right? No, Napoleon did. Right? So uh, uh, the, the, the idea is why, why, why did they all of a sudden become this, like, like, you know, this power that was able to like, mess with the whole rest of the Europe, whereas before the revolution they weren't? It's because now they have a system by which they can mobilize their entire population, a higher percentage of their population, whereas all the other countries in Europe that are sitting in the, under the feudal system, uh, they have a very small amount of people from which they can muster, uh, muster uh, soldiers. Right? People who have like, the, not only the ability to fight, but stakeholders in the, in the state, right? This causes like this chain reaction of nationalism throughout, uh, throughout all of Europe. 
And it causes all of Europe to rapidly abandon uh, their traditional cultures and ways of life uh, in order to now cope with this uh, trauma that was inflicted on them by France. And then afterward, when they have this like, uh, uh, like newfound power, they're able to unleash it. And I would argue terrorize much of the world with it. However, this is the same process that happens with Islam as well when the Prophet ﷺ came. Is that he was able to mobilize the people of Arabia through what? Through making them share, shareholders and stakeholders in civilization. That tradition that was alive with our aslaf, with the companions and with the, with the tabi'in, taba tabi'in, then gives way to the yoke of a patrician system in which Banu Umayyah and Banu Abbas are like the enfranchised class, classes. Nobody else has a, has a stake in civilization beyond, uh, beyond perhaps the, the, the classes of the ulama. And uh, what ends up happening is that you revert to an old imperial mode where there's a, where there's a ruling class and franchise class and the rest of the people are just kind of surviving, getting by. There may be more mobility, a far greater amount of mobility, social mobility through uh, what Banu Umayyah and Banu Abbas had to offer than uh, uh, the feudal system in, uh, in Europe, uh, which was just kind of like the worst of the worst. But essentially, this is, this is how civilization occurs, right? If global warming is going to kill everybody, and if the 1% are sapping the 99%, and if, you know, like, uh, we're going to lock up, like, migrants in, uh, uh, in, like, cages and, like, let their children die in the cold. And we're going to, uh, you know, I don't know, put everyone on the ban list, mashallah. Some, some of your countries are on the ban list today, and then my country will be on the ban list tomorrow. One day all of us will end up in a camp. All of these things are happening, right? Ultimately, there are ways of dealing with these, these things. Ultimately, unjust rule, unjust power doesn't uh, accede to uh, demands except for through force as well. Through coercion. Not necessarily military force, although sometimes military force it comes to that. But through coercion, whether it's political, economic, whatever it is, right? How is it that how is it that that, that process can happen properly? Is when you have uh, enough shareholders and stakeholders in civilization in order to make that process meaningful. What's so satanic about the, the, the destruction of marriage is what? Is that all of a sudden the engine through which, uh, through which the populace can be uh, uh, raised with a, a value system that is uh, reflective of the, the, the divine pleasure of the divine mandate. Right? What Allah is pleased with rather than the debauchery that people, the unchecked debauchery that people with power will, uh, will, will indulge in when they feel like that power has no check on it. That engine is gone. And in fact, we'll go even further that you, if you as a human being are unfulfilled in this way, as a man, as a woman, you're no longer shareholders, you're no longer stakeholders in this civilization. That's why the point of marriage is no longer to have a family. Why does gay marriage make sense? Like we can be like, oh, look, haram, right? Okay, that's great. But not everybody in this world believes in, in, in the revelation that came down on the Prophet ﷺ's heart. And further than that, even though we do believe in it, but it's important to understand why, as much as you're able to. What's the point of, what's the point of marriage? What is the point of marriage, right? If, if a man and woman uh, conceive offspring... Okay, who's in the more perilous situation of, of the two of them from a completely biological perspective? Anyone want to venture a theory? 
neuro, yeah. Probably the woman because she's pregnant. Yeah. Nine months of having to carry something around that's like a parasite sapping your, uh, you know, <laughs> nutritional and emotional and all this other stuff. And then on top of that, that parasite is going to literally like suck a modified form of your blood for the next like several years. And then is going to be emotional, uh, emotionally and uh, uh, materially dependent on you. Gosh, like nowadays until like he's 30, right? That's problematic. And that's not a problem only humans have. Go watch nature documentaries, right? Most mammals have the same problem. Like, right, if it's salmon or whatever, they just, like, whatever, spawn in the open ocean and then swim away. Nobody, it's nobody's problem, right? So salmon don't really need marriage. Whereas, whereas, whereas with, uh, this, you know, whereas with, with human beings, this is, a, this is a genuine issue, right? With mammals in general and human beings in specific, this is one of the many reasons why a man pays maher to a woman. Another reason is, you know, you guys are swell and stuff, but none of you are pretty enough for that. You know what I mean? Maybe someone, you know, combs their hair good or whatever. In general, why is it that a man pays maher to a woman? There's an understanding in the transaction in the transaction that happens between a man and a woman as mates, as spouses, as mates, right? If we're going to, like, we're university people, we may as well talk science, right? The transaction that happens between mates, there's something that a woman is giving up that the man is not giving up. There's an expenditure that the woman is putting into the process that a man is not putting into the process. That's why the maher is given, transferred from one side to the other side and not vice versa. If two men marry each other, who should give maher to who? Who requires a wali in that contract? The answer for all of these questions is that this is a completely, uh, uh, a completely like pointless question to have. And it leads to a conclusion, which is what? This is not even a marriage in the first place. Why is that something, though, that doesn't make sense to the people in the ages that we live in? If I, for example, there may be some people already in this room that are offended by this. And on top of that, if we had in this room a representative cross-section of this society or this college, this university, rather than just the MSA, probably more than half of the people in the room would be like really like unbearably offended by this. Why? Because their entire con conception of, of their place in civilization society is different. It has to do with me. What am I enjoying? What makes me happy? What makes me this? What makes me that, et cetera, which is fine. You have a different uh, set of things that you're pursuing in life. What I would like you to pay attention to is what is that those things only make sense. Like a happy life is swiping left and swiping right and getting matched with the one that you, that, that you liked for a one-night stand endlessly. It's only a goal for somebody who has no stake in the future of this society. Eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow we shall die. The planet is going to run out of resources. The, you know, once you die, the lights are going to be out anyway. YOLO and all of, this other, uh, all of this other stuff. If that's truly what you believe, then that logic, you know, that, that will lead to a set of values that are compatible with that logic. Whereas if you are a stakeholder in civilization, if you feel that you're essentially an optimist, that Allah Ta'ala through his fadl can make things better, and if he promises the one who tries to help make things better, that that person will not only have a, that we will give for them a, a, a pleasant and a decent life in this world. That you believe that that person in the hereafter will be honored for, 
for what for, for doing that that Allah is pleased with justice inna allaha ya'muru bil adli wal ihsani wa ita'i dhil qurba Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands to justice and then after that ihsan that you should give people more than what their rights are wa ita'i dhil qurba this is a very interesting continuum justice is like what giving people what their due is ihsan is giving people more than what their due is what does ita'i dhil qurba mean what does it mean to give to your, your relatives, your kinsfolk? Who here has like useful relatives? Raise your hand. Good for you, I wonder how it feels. I'm willing to wager that even the people who raise their hands, the ones you're going to give to are not the useful ones. And the ones that you're going to give to are never going to say thank you to you and they're the ones who are going to stab you in the back afterwards and you're going to be like, Sheikh, I did this for them, I did that for them, they stabbed me in the back. Well, of course, the only one who's going to stab you in the back is the one that you trust in the first place, right? So that's already known, that this is never going to give you anything back in this world, but Allah is pleased with it. Allah is pleased with it. That the creation are the dependents of Allah Ta'ala, whoever takes care of the creation, whoever does something good for them, forget about human beings, any living thing, if you do good by it, Allah Ta'ala will count it as sadaqah for you. If one of you were to say, Shaykh, my entire uh, life's work is going, to be, uh, uh, is going to be like, I don't know, like animal welfare for cats and dogs. Maybe some like shame grenade, uh, uh, you know, hater, MSA, uh, brother or sister is going to be like, Astaghfirullah, you know, they're human beings that are suffering and you're just doing cats and dogs and like whatever. No, I'll agree that there's probably better things that you could do with your time. But Rasulullah said that every living thing is going to, that to do good by it is, it's an act of piety, it's an act of sadaqah with the Lord. And on top of that, he said, Don't ever underestimate any good deed. If you, through your faqaha and your keen understanding and insight into the deen, understand a different thing that you could do, that you could uh, go ascend in rank with the Lord higher, faster than you know, like doing stuff for cats and dogs, then go ahead and do that. But the person, the cats and dogs guy, he's not robbing a liquor store. They're also a good person. They're doing something good, right? So this idea of, you have this idea inside of your mind that you want a brighter future, you want a brighter tomorrow, you want to serve, you want to make the circumstances in this world better, you want to, uh, uh, you know, make a better tomorrow. Why? Because this is what Allah loves. And the belief that we are Shawalullah writes in his Hujjatullah in a different place. That what? That the Tawajjuhat uh, uh, of the Mala'ul A'la. This is a very long discussion. But the point is, is what? That the Barakah and the Nur comes on on the hearts of, of those people who what? One, from one of the people that he mentions, from the, that's mentioned from the Athar. Man sa'a fi islahin nas. The person who they're constantly working in order to repair those things that are broken uh, in society amongst people. You know, like one of the best things that a person can do is if there's a husband and wife, they're about to like stab each other and you somehow facilitate them making up with one another, right? And if that, and, and, or with between two brothers or between two sisters or between two family members or between two Muslims or between two human beings or you see an injustice and you correct it. Only a person who's a stakeholder in society is going to worry about those things. Only the person who aspires to be a stakeholder in society is going to worry about those things. If you have no, uh, if you have no like future in that, if that's like not your your uh, hustle, you know what I mean, 
you're just trying to do your YOLO thing and like consume and then clock out. You know, the dark night of death is going to cover your eyes and then you'll never wake up from it again. Right? Then none of that stuff means anything. In fact, really nothing means anything. The problem is what? That the zombie army of, the, of those YOLO people. Right? You know why zombie, like out of all of the nightmare scenarios, why zombies are the worst? What's scary about zombies? Does any zombie run real fast? No. Does any zombie jump real high? Is there any zombie that's like a criminal genius, mastermind, always like 10 steps ahead? No. What is it? They're really stupid, but there's so many of them that you'll shoot all of your bullets and you'll run out and they'll still keep coming. And then you'll take your uh, sword and break it, uh, you know, killing and they'll still keep coming. You'll break your baseball bats, they'll still keep coming. You'll lighter fluid, you'll run out of lighter fluid, set as many of them as you, uh, on fire as you can and they'll still keep coming. You'll punch as many of them as you can until you're tired and they'll still keep coming. And then your body, you know, your tired body will be laying on the floor quite aware of what's going on but unable to resist, and they'll slowly gnaw your brains out. That's scary. It's overwhelming. It's a nightmare. What is it? There are certain people who have a vested interest. There are certain people who have a vested interest in that like zombie apocalypse happening spiritually. People who make large corporations that make money depend on everyone being a zombie in order to maintain their hegemony, just like the empires of the old days of the Chinese the empires of the Romans, the empires of the Persians, they depended on a small uh, uh, pat uh, patrician class being able to basically dominate huge uh, underclasses of people and extract resources, wealth from them in order to teach them that, that we are the gods that you worship and uh, uh, you can do whatever you want, but just don't question us, right? That happened in this country as well. It happened in the South. It happened in the South, so you bring people in chains and separate them from their homeland and from their families and all this other stuff. And then you tell them, you tell them this picture of this white man on the, on the, on the wall, this is, this is God. You worship him. See, he looks like me, doesn't look like you. He right? doesn't look like me, but you know what I mean, right? And so there are a lot of people who bought that Kool-Aid. Incidentally, out of because Black History Month, mashallah. So shame on you guys for calling me instead of someone for that, right? Um, yeah. yeah, call them out. Call them out. Yeah. Hold them okay. Hold his feet to the fire. The uh, um, interestingly, who, who, which section of the slaves didn't buy that Kool Aid? Drink that Kool Aid. The Muslims, right? The ones that they would like enslave from Senegal, Gambia, etc. From those, from those, from West Africa. Like in the fields, they'd be like, "Your God is not a human being, and he's definitely not a white man. This is all nonsense. We got to do something about this." And so every country in the Western Hemisphere, at some point or another, will pass laws saying you cannot bring slaves from the Muslim lands anymore. Bring them from like Angola and from Congo and things like that. Why? Because those, those poor people, the, the message of Dean didn't reach them, so they weren't equipped in order to, in order to resist, uh, resist this. Otherwise, read about the slave rebellion in Bahia. It brings coolness to the heart that this Iman, you see like we're like uh, uh, stakeholders in civilization. This Iman will take a person in the most desperate of situations and give them so much honor and sharaf in this world. Imagine how much honor those people will have in the hereafter that they even look in chains in their, in their legs, in their necks and in their hands and they look at the slave master and say, you're nothing. I have Allah Ta'ala with me. This type of courage and this type of strength to stand up doesn't come from somebody who's not a shareholder in civilization. I know you're like, when is this guy going to talk about marriage? Okay, we're going to wrap this like 
more theoretical part of the discussion up very quickly. But the point is, is what? The point is, is what? The point is, is that that person that doesn't have a, 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 a worry for tomorrow and a stake in civilization and doesn't see themselves as like part of that process, that person is not going to have the himma in order to resist. That person is, if they're smart, they'll kill themselves because they know that this is, no, seriously, this is why suicide is such a big issue nowadays. Is that People who have that YOLO mindset, they know that the patrician upper class is just going to eat the poor. It's not going to get better. There's nothing we can do about it. Because I myself cannot find the courage in myself to resist like this uh, commercialism, resist this consumerism, resist this swiping left and swiping right and all this other nonsense. And I'm woke. So what is everybody else who's a fool going to do? It's a very legitimate like line of thinking. People talk about the Khilafah that oh, if we only had a Khalifa, everything would be wonderful in the world. If you read Muslim history, there was things that the Muslims did while the Khalifa was there that were like really messed up. Like really messed up. So don't be... I'm not saying that it's not part of the deen. It's part of the deen to establish the hukum of Allah on earth and et cetera, et cetera. I completely agree with that. But don't think it's like a magical solution. And on the flip side, you're the Khalifa of Allah. Khalas. You know, if you, if, you were, if you were to become governor, what would happen? How do you become a governor? There's an election. There votes. You know, electors. God knows how, how it happens. Then the clerk of like whatever elections will certify the results. And then you'll be, you know, sworn in. Some person who's like uh, not a Muslim but dressed like the imam of your masjid for some odd reason will have you put your hand on one of any random number of texts and say that you're uh, governor and then magically you're governor, right? And if I said I'm governor, they'd be like, no, you're, you're delusional because none of that stuff happened for you, right? You all say la ilaha illallah. You're already the khalifa of Allah Ta'ala in this world. Who gave you the vestment with it? A clerk? A grown man who's, or woman who's wearing a black dress? Who? Allah who created the heavens and the earth from nothing said, إِنِّي جَعَلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةٌ this is your world. يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Allah will ask you why it's so messed up. Because unlike everybody else, unlike Bernie and Trump and all these other people, you're the one who knew better. And if you didn't, you had the book in front of you, there's no reason you shouldn't have, right? You're the Khalifa of Allah. Go fix everything now. But Sheikh, it's not that easy. I know it's not that easy. The first thing we should do is make a stable home and then we can like make a da'wah outside. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, that, that protect yourselves, shield yourselves from from that fire, uh, you, you and your, uh, yourselves and your families from that fire, the fuel of which is men and stones. Men here rhetorically, there'll be women there too, don't worry. So this is, you know, the mandate is there, the election result is certified, you've received the official copy, now do something about it. Okay, the first step is what is that you fortify your own household. If you cannot fortify your own household, your own families, those are the basic units of civilization. The only people who have a an interest in dismantling, dismembering those units are people who wish to, what, 
to break up conglomerations of power so that that are potential threats to their and resistance to their to their power why because if you uh, you and your wife love each other and you stop uh, watching advertisements that tell you that are you know you're going to be happy by going on a cruise in the Bahamas and buying a certain type of shoes and like you know living in a certain type of house and driving a certain type of car they're all going to go out of business you'll be happy with one another and that's it. That's all she wrote. You'll be happy with your children. You don't need any of these other things in order to like fill your uh, fill your life with cheap thrills, right? So we come back now to the discussion of marriage that's more relevant to to uh, those of us in the room. And we start with the hadith of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is a sunnah, to, uh, not a sunnah, which is often recited, I should say, at the uh, uh, Solemnization of a nikah contract in which the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam says uh, a woman is to be married for four reasons: for her uh, 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 for her uh, beauty and for her uh, wealth and for her lineage and for her deen. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Fadfar taribat yadak," that you uh, will be successful by choosing the one that uh, possesses deen. Uh, may your hands perish, which is not uh, literally a dua, but a expression of emphasis uh, that was used amongst the Arabs. Meaning what? What will make your, your household unit stable? It's deen. Why? Because if your wife doesn't respect Allah Ta'ala, she certainly isn't going to respect you. And the uh, parallel that the ulama mentioned with regards to the ladies that they should look for in a man is what? is that that person should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Deen in general, but in particular, the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Even though it's not universally the case, but by and large, generally a man is stronger than a woman is physically, and uh, society will afford him the, uh, certain uh, uh, licenses that women are not afforded, good, bad, or, or, or whatever. Biological facts that we mentioned from before afford him an ability to break from, from uh, the relationship with less consequences in general, uh, at least immediately, uh, uh, than a, a woman. If that person doesn't fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then when his anger uh, enters into his heart, uh, which it undoubtedly will enter for all of us at some point or another, there's nobody who's immune to any of these things. It's not always like... I mean, not every day is good. You're not always going to be in love. Then on that day, you know, that person is not going to force the, the, the marriage to break through their impetuousness. And this is a really interesting thing. And this, again, maybe I spent too much time in madrasa and like if I had common sense, I wouldn't say these things in a forum like this. But like marriage is also a hierarchical, uh, a hierarchical relationship in Islam. Hierarchy means what? It doesn't mean ownership. It doesn't mean dominance for the sake of dominance. It means that there's an adab, right? There, for example, parents and children is a hierarchical relationship. Who's supposed to respect who? The children respect their parents, right? Now, if your parents tell you to go kill yourself, then you're not supposed to. But in general, if they say something like grab milk on the way home, then you should grab some milk on the way home. Why? It's a hierarchical relationship. It's not proper for you to say that to them. And if, they, if you did say it to them and they said no... Like you have no right to be upset with them in the same way that they have a right to be upset with you had things been the other way around. A marriage in Islam is a hierarchical relationship. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa his hadiths are very uh, clear about this. That, uh, that uh, uh, I, I didn't command any person to make sajda to any other person. 
But if I were to do so, I would command that a woman make sajda to her husband. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was asked by, there was one of the, uh, one of the Sahabiyat asked him, what is the right of a, a husband over his wife? This is, a, again, not a legal pronouncement. It's not a legal pronouncement. What is the right of a, a, of a husband over his wife? He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that if he comes home and his wounds are bleeding and the only way to treat them is for you to lick the pus out of the wounds, that you should do it for him. And you know what the Sahabiya said? She's like, I, I, I'm not going to, I can't do that. And she never married. She never married after that. Uh, and, you know, nobody forced her to do so. But like the thing is, they took that, they took that very seriously. Now, what does that mean? Just in the same way, because it's interesting. I've said these hadiths in like khutbahs and stuff like that in the past. And people are like, Shaykh, you're enabling abuse. Okay? If I give a, if I give a, a, a khutbah in, and I, I get the fact that everybody comes to these things like from their, own, uh, uh, from their own experience. If there's a woman here who's like been really abused by her husband, when she hears these hadiths, it, it will obviously, uh, you know, seem different to her than, than, uh, uh, than it would for a woman who had a really like wonderful husband. You know, Allah Ta'ala give all of uh, the sisters wonderful husbands and uh, wonderful wives to the brothers, etc. But uh, let's divorce it from context and think about it as a, a, theoretical, uh, as a theoretical construct, which is a starting point for, 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 for discussions. Then, yes, if abuse happens, that changes the scenario. If it doesn't happen, it changes the scenario. I know Nero doesn't like people abstracting things too much. As an unfortunate fact, this is the way uh, all intellectual matters have to begin, that the uh, truth flows from abstract to concrete and not the other way around. Uh, but uh, the uh, idea is what is that that it's a hierarchical it's a hierarchical relationship if you like it or not it ends up being a hierarchical relationship anyway and there's a lot of wisdom in it being a hierarchical relationship which is what and hierarchical relationship is two way meaning what if if you were if someone Allah commanded you know as parents he commanded your children to listen to you it doesn't mean that you know Allah wanted slavery to somehow exist after the civil war and so he like put this commandment in the Quran for that that's not what the point is imagine if a, a parent is just really abusive in their relationship with their children Allah will ask them about it they will be punished on the day of judgment there are rational limits to that, that hi the hierarchy of that relationship if parents tell their children to go jump off a bridge that child is under no way shape or form obliged to go jump off a bridge it's an extreme example but the principle holds firm in a number of other scenarios. Just like that, a husband, if he's abusive to his wife, the wife has remedies for that. But in general, what is the benefit of there being hierarchy in the relationship between husband and wife? Imagine, we're two completely co-equal partners, right? A man and a woman, a woman and a woman, a man and a man, or one of any 17, 35, I don't know how many permutations thereof that we're working with nowadays. Like your pronoun looks like an algebraic equation. <laughs> Who knows? I might be banned from, the, from, from, from OSU for even saying this right now. There, a day may come if the recording comes up. I might be banned one day for it, you know? At any rate, if it's not a hierarchical relationship, it's a, a, a relationship of equals. The days you agree it's going to be okay, right? Everything's wonderful. What happens the day you disagree? The day that you disagree, one of a number of options emerge in front of you. Either party one is going to have to submit to party two, or party two is going to have to submit to party one. 
or neither submits to the other and they go their own separate ways. What's the barakah of having hierarchy? The adab of every hierarchical, every hierarchical situation. Every hierarchical relationship. I know it's kind of getting Confucian uh, a little bit, but there are, you know, if there's wisdom in that tradition, that's fine too, right? I didn't mean confusion. I said Confucian, right? Uh, uh, the, what is the what is the what is the wisdom? The adab of being in the in the in empowered position in a hierarchical relationship is what is that you should be the first one to make sacrifice. You should be the first one to forego your your right. The rich should forgo their right in favor of the poor. That's what Ihsan is, right? Parents will make far, in general, far more sacrifices for their children than children will make for their parents. A man came to, the, came, came to Hajj. The Rasulullah went to Hajj only once. He came to Hajj carrying his aged mother on his back. And he was making tawaf with her on his back. No wheelchairs back then, right? Now they have the whole wheel, wheelchair like track and if you... You know, if you're not careful, like some really fast uh, kid from Yemen or whatever is going to like run over your ankle and cause it to bleed in the high floor, right? It happens. Anyone has happened to you before? Yeah, yeah, mashallah. The joys of our civilization, right? So he's carrying his mother on his back. Imagine that. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, have I fulfilled the right of my mother? I came from so far away with her carrying her the whole way here just so she could make hajj with you. Have I fulfilled the right of my mother? And the Prophet says, says what? Says you haven't even fulfilled you haven't even fulfilled the right of one of the birth pangs that she uh, that she suffered for when carrying you. What is what is what is one of the meanings we take from this is that in a hierarchical relationship in general when it's functional and it's healthy, the sacrifice comes from the from the from the uh, uh, higher the dominant position toward the lower, not the other way around in general. That that person can carry his mother on Hajj and go back and still. The Rasulullah is affirming the fact that your mother made more sacrifice for you than you made for her. So as a good husband, and as a husband who wishes to stay married, <laughs> if it's a matter of, do you want to go to uh, uh, Taco Bell or Burger King today? Say, you know what, honey, whatever you choose. <laughs> Obviously, like, this is like in a theoretical Taco Bell and Burger King where things are halal and things like that, right? <coughs> right? But the point is like, you don't, you're like, oh, I'm the man, I can choose where I want to go and like you do it every single time. It's, it's, that's stupid. You're A, not, that's against the adab of being in the, the empowered position and in, in, in the adab of hierarchy and you're just going to make your marriage break because nobody can be ridden like that. You couldn't be if someone else asked you to. If your parents asked you, your parents were like, hey, yo, like, you know, do uh, 20 push-ups and then stand on one leg for like an hour and then afterward go make me a lemonade. Like, you're, you can't do that every day. A day will come where you're going to break down and be like, I can't, I'm tired, I'm this and that, can't you make your own, Why? I don't even get the point of this. It's, it's all going to break down. And that day your parents are going to be like, oh, oh, look at this, I bore you, I carried you in my stomach for nine months, I worked so that you could, what I, you know, like all of this stuff and like and all you do is sit on your phone all day and now you're telling me I can't make just one cup of them like you know like it's what's gonna it's, it leads to a type of unreasonability right so the point is is what some, then someone's like well Sheikh you're the one who said that the husband is in the enfranchised position right and now you're saying I, we can never exercise that that's not what I'm saying. The point of being in that enfranchised position is what? That you save the card for the day that it has to do with something with the dean or with something with the viability of the household. 
Just like the parents will sacrifice for their children, sacrifice for their children, sacrifice for their children. One day the kid is going to be like, hey, uh, mom, can I, uh, uh, can I like, you know, like start a small fire in the corner of the house? And mom's going to be like, this is my son. If he asks for ice cream, I give it to him. If he asks for candy, I give it. He's the apple of my eye. I dress him in the morning and I clean up after him afterward and I cook whatever, mulukhiya and dal and biryani and whatever he wants like for him, you know, uh, and like, you know, I, I'll feed him bite by bite, but now he's going to burn the house down, right? So I have to say no at this point, right? Uh, uh, the point is, is what is that that you, you should save that? Rather, the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam he considered any sacrifice that a man makes in order to make his wife happy to be a sadaqa, right? Until the uh, to the point of like being able to raise the uh, uh, morsel of food to the mouth of his wife. It counts as what as a, as, as a sadaqa. And now it's it's interesting. Like you know, I mean, the modern sensibility the modern sensibility is like oh are you saying we're like children you know no that's not what it's saying but what does it mean it means like when you're actually delivering the child and things like you need some help when your son becomes old enough that you you know like smack him in the face and he laughs at you instead of crying right it would be good to have somebody to you know be there to like back you up if you want to invest a certain amount of time in raising your children, it's good to have somebody who can pay the bills. That's why I said from before, I told them, I told them, I'm sorry to break, break your guys' hearts. I told the sisters in the session before, if he doesn't pray five times a day and he cannot pay the rent, then it's better to live alone. Why? Because that, that benefit is gone now. now. There's no point to it anymore. It just becomes, you know, anyway, so we're, we're going we're gonna to get to, there's one benefit that's still there. We're going to talk about it in, in a couple of minutes, inshallah, and then we'll move to question and answers. But the point is, is what? The reason that it's, it's a hierarchical uh, relationship, there's a, there's a type of wisdom in it, and hierarchy doesn't mean enslavement, uh, nor does it mean that one party is better than the other. It's just a, 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 an archetype of how things should work. And on top of it, and on top of it being something that benefits Men and women. In fact, marriage benefits women more than it benefits men. Uh, um, uh, not in the sense that like, oh, look, you should be like happy that some slob married you. The point is, is, the, the point is that when marriage is gone, what ends up happening? Like, let's, let's look at it. Let's talk about it right now. Your masjid imam won't tell you about it. I'll tell you about it, okay? Tinder. Or one of the galaxy of apps that all work on the same swipe right, swipe left model. Do you know who ends up, which males end up being successful in that model? The 0.6% most attractive men, which are oftentimes, more often than not, unemployed and uneducated, and all they do is spend their time working out at the gym. Now tell me something, does that remind you of anything like any other species? It's the rest of the mammalian like archetype of what? That there's the alpha male like, meathead like alpha male. And he has his choice from the entire, uh, uh, from the entire flock of, of females. Is that going to produce offspring at all? Probably not. If it does, is it going to produce offspring that are going to be the custodians of civilization? No, it's going to move us back in the gorilla and chimpanzee, bonobo, orangutan direction. Where's our, uh, uh, where's our uh, 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 Indonesian brother? Right? You don't want to go orangutan because their entire habitat is going to be gone in palm oil plantations relatively soon. Right? There's, no, there's no point to it. The point is there's no benefit in that. Right? So when I say that the marriage it benefits men as well, spiritually, but like in a material sense, in a material sense, it, 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 that hierarchical relationship is not a type of enslavement or a type of 
uh, in type a type of uh, uh, like misogynistic control or or a type of uh, 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 disenfranchisement or a sign of being a second class citizen or a second class human being. In fact, it's more akin to like a, a, like a lien against like a property that money is owed on or something like that. It's in your it's in your benefit. It's in your interest. Now. There's one last thing that I, I, I wanted to talk about, right? Um, which is what? Because the reason we're talking about all these things is that hopefully by understanding marriage better, you'll understand what will actually constitute a, a, good, a good partner, right? So for example, one lovelorn young man who prays in the masjid five times a day, he several years ago came to me, he says, Sheikh, I want to marry such and such sister. I'm like, oh yeah, why? He's like, she's so amazing. She writes the most like wonderful and genius blog posts. And like her blog posts, like she's so intelligent. She's so charming and witty and blah, blah, blah. And the other thing. And, uh, and I'm, like, I'm like, why don't you marry somebody who's going to be a good wife and who's going to like, you know, who you would like, like your children to, you know, learn from and benefit from. And then once you're married to her, you can always read this woman's blog posts anyway. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what makes a good wife. You guys are laughing, you guys are laughing, but unfortunately it's very sad, right? I, I do, because people, when, when, the, when the defecation hits the oscillation, they end up calling me. I get three, four highly dysfunctional, highly dysfunctional calls about marital dispute in a day. Let me tell you something, that, you know, you have the choice like between the sister who's like pious and the sister who's fun, right? The day you have a daughter, you're going to want to kill yourself. Why? Because you're going to be like, okay, guys are horrible because I know, because I'm horrible. So this is what you should do and this is what you should look out for. And the wife's going to be like, I don't get it. Why? You know, no, you should like, you know, be fun. Like, you know, it's okay. You go out with your male friends and this and that. You're like, no, the only reason they're going out, with, you know, it doesn't work. It breaks down at that point, right? You should know what the point of having a wife is. You should know what the point of having a husband is in order to pick a husband that's, that's good, who, a wife that's good, you know, somebody who is... Uh, 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 you know, like a good comedian and he makes you laugh, you know, for half an hour, watch his stand-up on YouTube. You need somebody who's dependable, who's going to like, you know, be somebody who will be useful like when you're, you know, like whatever, when you're like just delivered a child like seven hours ago, you know? Uh, at any rate, so that was the point of that. Now there's one last, one last uh, awkward topic. Don't giggle and laugh, please. Be a little bit more mature. This is one thing I lament, you know? One thing I, I, I find like impious... Muslim kids, oftentimes, they have a certain type of piety that the pious ones don't have. Right? Like in Islam, you're supposed to respect your parents, right? So, there's two, uh, there's two uh, sons in the household. One is like, you know, pious, like Taqwa Muhammad, and the other guy, his, like, his name is Shaitan Fulan, and he just <laughs> smokes weed all the time, right? It wasn't that funny, right? So, what happens... Pious Taqwa Muhammad, like, you know, he goes to, like, uh, whatever, so-and-so sheikh, uh, his halaqa every day. And, and his mother's like, you know, I don't think you should go to that halaqa so much. For whatever reason, good or bad. Maybe it's a bad reason, right? And so what is he going to do? Mom, I go learn the deen from him. And stuff for Allah. And the ulama are the warathatul anbiya. And this and that and the other thing. And, like, I'm going to go and, like... How dare you? And like, you should read the Quran more and read the Hadith more and you should go to the... And they're going to get into a fight with, his, with, with their mother, right? And they're going to yell at their mother. Whereas like Shaitan Fulan, what is he going to do? He's going to go out and smoke weed, right? And his mother's like, what are you going to go do? He's like, oh, I'm just going to go out with my friends. Why wouldn't he tell his mother he's going to go smoke weed? Because it would break her heart. 
In this situation, which of the two has right? He's not lying, right? In this situation, which of the two, which of the two prosecuted the the, the command of Dean better? Right? The latter one. So I'll tell you, we'll talk about something. Don't laugh about it, inshallah. It's important. You should know about it. You should think about it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, uh, I think in some ways for good reasons, although to bad outcomes, Muslim boys don't really know how to talk to women and Muslim girls don't really understand how you know, men are thinking. And it's good in the sense that like, you know, uh, the relationship between a man and woman is very powerful and it overwhelms the rational faculty. And it causes a person to sometimes make mistakes that they're never going to be able to dig themselves out of in their life, no matter how much toba they make and how hard they work. You know, if you have like, if you have a child when you're 15 with somebody who's like crazy, you know, um, that's something that, you know, you, you'll never actually solve that. You're just going to be shackled with that, uh, the, the, the outcome of that for the rest of your life. You can pretend it's not a problem and you're just racking up the debt and you're going to take the beating on the other end, like by piecing out as a mother or as a father or whatever, but that's a problem that's not going to be easily solved um, or, or solved at all. You know, the solution of the actual best case solution of the problem is going to basically divert the attention of the, your whole rest of your life. You're not going to do anything else anymore. That's going to be your life from now on. Um, and so, yes, parents want to shelter their children from those things. The problem is what? You're going to have to, you're going to, have to live with a woman one day. You're going to have to live with a man one day. You should know how the other things. Okay? And part of this has to do with one of the bedrock and foundational reasons for marriage. Right? We're not, we're not Catholics that say that the only reason for marriage is procreation. Right. What is there are literally countries in this, in, you know, in the world where people I don't know if people are still like that. There are probably a few people still like that. But like people within their parents and grandparents generations, the way that mommy and daddy used to like, you know, uh, um, be friends is uh, there was literally a sheet between them and a small slit in the sheet. And the person is supposed to be like uh, 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 asking for forgiveness while uh, the act of making love and afterward as well, because what it's sin. All of it is sin. You can see how that's like a type of dysfunctionality. And extremism is like a pendulum. It swings too far to one side. It will definitely swing too far to the other side. That, that, that group of people who um, viewed sex as so evil, are they, more, uh, are they bigger sexual miscreants or are the Muslims? Why? Because the extremism was so far on one side and it just the, 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 the pendulum is going to swing hard to the other side because that's how extremism works. Whereas in Islam, we don't consider sex to be a sin. Rather, it is the, 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 the private part is one of the spiritual limbs. This is a metaphor. Okay? Spiritual limbs mean what? That the heart is like the, the king in the, in the castle, the, the middle of the fortress. And the fortress has gates. Through which, uh, through which things can enter the city and things can exit the city. And the city is entered by uh, the spiritual limbs, the eyes. If you look at good things, your heart will have a good effect and you'll be a good person. If you look at bad things, bad effect on the heart, eventually become a bad person. Ears. Your tongue, everything you say outward, there's a carbon copy sent to your heart as well. It's one of the limbs of the heart. One of the limbs of the heart is the stomach. If you eat haram, it's killing your heart inside. That's why don't eat haram. If you drink haram, don't drink haram. It's going to kill your heart inside. 
right? I know, neuro is this is this fit into your like whole like paradigm or I don't know, you know, like, right? And, and the heart here is not like the lab dub, uh, uh, you know, f uh, four chambers and all. That. We're talking about a, a spiritual apparatus, right? Okay, and, and that spiritual apparatus, which is described in the Quran, that the day of judgment is yoma la salim. If you bring the heart and give, gift it to Allah Taala on the day of judgment, undamaged, you'll go to Jannah. And there's nothing else that will get you into Jannah other than that. لا ينفع مالن ولا بنونا. Not your progeny, not your wealth. Nothing, nothing is going to be a price to enter Jannah except for that you bring your heart intact to Allah like, like He sent it to you when you were like a little baby, so cute and wonderful, right? So the, the idea is, is this, is that the, the, the private parts of a human being is an inroad into the heart. Meaning... Where, whatever a person does with it If a person does something haram with it What is that? The haram and indecency of that is affecting the heart In a haram and an indecent way But the converse is what? Is that if you do something good with it Then it affects the heart in a good way What does that mean? That means there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Again, all of these things are so offensive to the modern sensibility Feel free not to share it with your friends I may not even, even the MSA itself might boycott me for saying these things Please forgive me, my point is not to offend you. Just try to understand something. The good part, take it. The bad part, you can disagree with it later, okay? The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, if a man, because traditionally the men were the ones who worked outside of the house and the women were the ones who would go out of the house sparingly, right? So if a man goes to the marketplace and he sees a woman and it incites a, a, a feeling inside of him, it happens. Don't admit to it. Of course, as an individual, you should pretend in public like it doesn't happen to me, but it happens to all, every man. It happens to women as well. It happens to people, right? Ignore it to ignore it and be, you know, like slid in the sheets about it. It's not going to really like solve the problem. It's just going to make it all like cascade and hit you all the harder later on when it does hit you, right? If a man, his passions are inflamed by someone he sees outside, outside of the house, let him go home to his wife because he'll find with his wife the thing that he would have found with that woman. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam continues. He says that inna fi budi ahadikum or budi jasadikum ahadikum sadaqa or kama qala alayhi sallatu wasallam that inside inside the 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 flesh of your body is a sadaqa. Meaning what? If you're married and you get it on real good with your partner, you receive the reward of sadaqa. Of the companions are like, well, really? Like, you get you get reward for like doing it good, and uh, he's uh, he said, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He says he says that don't you see how if one of you were to take their desire in a haram way, commit adultery, how much sin there would be in that? It's bad. It's not a good thing. It's a really bad thing. Those people who've never done it, they consider it bad. Those people who have done it have felt the dirtiness, the cheapness, the like. The, 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 the like loss of their own humanity in doing that They know how bad it is even more than maybe than the people who haven't done it before Right? There's, don't you see how bad it would have been if you did it in a, If you gained that pleasure in a haram way That's how much reward you get for, for, for doing it in the halal way Now imagine that That's a lot of reward Doing something which is frankly very pleasant and very good And it's spiritually edifying as well it's such a spiritual, it's not like the Catholics that Toba Toba stuff for lie, did this thing, you know. What is it? Literally the amount of sin you would get for, for committing zina, you receive that amount of reward for what? 
for, for, for getting it on well with your, with your spouse. Mashallah, mashallah. There's so much, there's so much like, uh, 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 you know how we said that like the breakdown of marriage, there's so much, um, there's so many mafasid that are built on that foundation. There are so many masalih, there are so many uh, rectifications of broken things that are built on a husband and wife having a, a, a healthy physical relationship with one another. There are so many problems and stresses that go away. Neuro will give you a long bayan about oxytocin and about cortisol go, uh, giving way to oxytocin and uh, good feelings and all of this other stuff that will help a person in their immune system and all this other wonderful stuff for you physically, for you spiritually, right? Imagine that. It's not, it's not the, the, the thing that you make is still far from. Rather, there's literally a dua for doing it. Anyone know what the dua is for doing it? That's why none of you are getting any, right? <laughs> it's a hadith of Sahih Bukhari. It's a hadith of Sahih Bukhari that the Prophet ﷺ said that the dua that, that, a, per, that a person should do before, before uh, 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 intercourse with their spouse. Allahumma jannibna shaytana wa jannib shaytana ma razaqtana. Oh Allah, spare us the shaytan and spare the shaytan from reaching and affecting that thing that you, uh, you uh, give to us, meaning the offspring that you give to us. I, rem- I learned that dua when I, was, I got married while I was still studying. Later, years later, when I made it to the Dora Hadith, we're reading Sahih Bukhari on a very hot uh, summer's day in Lahore. In Lahore, the summer gets to like 127 degrees. It's really hot. Like even the donkeys and the dogs are like panting like out of desperation. Okay? It was one of those days like the sweat comes into your eyes and burns your eyes. And you can't sleep at night. And so like you just like come in out of, out of like consciousness sometimes because reading the Siha Sitta is not a short affair. It, it takes like the whole day, the hours of the day. So I remember the reciter is reading from the, from the, from the book and like I like had dozed off and then I hear out of my ear this dua and I'm like, like not here, we're in the Darul Hadith, what's going on? And then I realize he just got to that Hadith, that's all that's happening because like you're like, this is not a memory I associate with. <laughs> Shaykh al-Hadith like sitting in front of us and all the students of knowledge like, you know. But it's, it, there's a dua for it. And the person who can remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that, in that moment, which is the moment, the supreme moment of forgetfulness. This is a sign, this is a miraculous sign of the, of the truth and of the haqqa and of the, uh, of the madad that Allah Ta'ala gave to the ummah of the Prophet wasallam that a person can remember Allah Ta'ala at that time because if they can remember Allah Ta'ala at that time they'll remember Allah Ta'ala ala dawam there's not going to, be a, going to be a moment not in wakefulness nor in sleep not in uh, tribulation and affliction nor in, in times of ease and times of joy that a person will forget Allah Ta'ala so the idea is what? Literally ulama have written books about doing it. And the book starts with Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and it will mention these ayat and mention these ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of the benefits and the virtues of doing it. And then uh, they will talk about things in a type of graphic description. All I can say is that Western religious tradition is completely unfamiliar with such a thing. Many of the great ulama wrote, anyone hear about Suyuti? Everyone heard the name? Suyuti wrote three books. There's like a, 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 a book he wrote about it, then he wrote an abridgment of it, and then he wrote like a long multi-volume work about it. And it goes into a remarkable amount of detail. Mashallah. Don't you, don't you guys all wish and ladies wish all, you all knew classical Arabic better than you do, right? Because they're very interesting books. 
Why is it? Because this is something that you need in order to be, in order to be a, a, a viable and successful and, and aspirational uh, a, a stakeholder in the future of civilization in this world and the hereafter. This is, one of, this is one of the reasons I'll frankly say it's a civilizational failure of this generation. Not of Islam, because Islam taught us better. It is a civilizational failure of this generation that what? That we, you know, if it was such a wonderful thing, how come all of us weren't married when we were 14, 13, 14, 15, 16? Why is it that a Kafir can have a girlfriend and like you as a Muslim, uh, you know, cannot ha have a spouse? You know, kafir can have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a kafir can have whatever permutation of friend that they wish to. Um, but, you, you know, you can, these are all the benefits in the deen of this thing you would think like you would want to. That's how all of our forefathers were. Every, every, every Muslim civilization, people would get married by the time they hit puberty. Now, obviously, if someone gets married when they're 14, 15, 16 years old, there's going to be a big out, out, outcry, a big back, backlash about it. Um, and some of which has to do with ideological crookedness, some of which is actually very legitimate. Some of which is legitimate because we haven't made the culture, civilization, infrastructure that can allow most people to both be married and also have a successful life in the society at the same time. But that doesn't mean that it can't happen. Whether, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, this is beyond the scope of this discussion right now. Why? Because none of us as individuals nor as a conglomerate could we get together and fix those problems. It just is what it is. We have to deal with it. Okay? But the point of me mentioning this is what? Is that you don't want to delay. You don't want to delay this thing. Not having, not having a, a halal outlet for this thing is spiritually damaging for a person. And it will lead to a person sufficing through the haram with that thing that they, they should be sufficing through the halal. It will not only lead to like physiological problems. People will... Uh, masturbate and watch pornography as a habit will oftentimes go into a spiral men and women they'll go into a spiral that's more and more uh, degenerate uh, and it will affect them psychologically it will affect them physiologically to the point where there are a, a significant percentage of the population uh, of people who are able to be sexually attracted to a computer screen or to a phone more than they are to a man or a woman um, that's like very problematic. People don't get there overnight. And like, you know, unfortunately, many people from our parents' generation are like, oh, just wait, just wait, just wait. Yeah, sure. Everyone's going to wait. I'm sorry, like the biological makeup of a human being, you cannot ignore it. You know, it doesn't just go away just because you pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, uh, rather like a pendulum that's a type of extremism it will slam you, it will hurt you afterward if you don't pay attention to it just like a person who tries to hold their breath what will happen, they'll eventually pass out and once they're unconscious, they're going to breathe a lot right? Uh, just like a person who is like, uh, tries not to you know, eat until they're starved or, or whatever they're going to harm themselves right? Uh, just like that, this is something if you don't take care of it you're going to harm yourself you're gonna, it's, just, it's just a bad thing, you're going to harm yourself not only physically, you're going to harm yourself spiritually how will a person love Allah Ta'ala if they don't know what it is to uh, love their wife why is it that the ulama in the old days you know, like, why is it that all of the crazy like, you know, mullah looking dudes with the beards and the turbans, they're the ones who are like you know, marartu diyari diyari layla, uqabbilu dhal jidara wa dhal jidara fama hubbu fama hubbu 
الجدار فما حب الجدار شغفا قلبي ولكن حب من سكن الديارة uh, uh, that that uh, I, I passed by the 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 neighborhood of Layla and I kissed this wall and I kissed this other wall but you see it's not the love of walls that has overwhelmed my heart taken my heart with passion but the love of the one who lives inside of those walls when when uh, Mullah quotes this verse what is he talking about he's not talking about Layla if he was talking about Layla the congregation would take their slippers off and beat him off of the pulpit and say this guy it's the pulpit of the messenger of Allah sallallahu and he's trying to be a player get out of here get out leave we're definitely not going to let you speak, have like an hour question and answer session with our daughters. Right? The, the, when they quote those verses, what are they talking? They're talking about the love of Allah Ta'ala. Right? Allah Ta'ala is the one who is like beyond description, beyond uh, comprehension. All we can do is construct analogies on what we know in order to be a bridge to the starting point of how a person can love Allah Ta'ala. So when they talk about those things, what are they talking about? They're talking about a, a love that, that's transcendent of the love of this world, that you think of the love of this world, which is the most intense that you can think of. And that's a starting point where you talk about it as a, a napis, as a deficient metaphor for something that's, that's higher than, than normal human uh, comprehension, than physical things, that's spiritual, that tra- is transcendent uh, uh, experience. Now tell me something. If you don't know what it means to fall in love with Layla, then how are you going to know what it means to love Allah? How are you going to know what it means to love the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam? That they said that the beauty of Yusuf alayhisam, he was so beautiful. The women were taken by him that when they saw him, they cut their hands. This one, his so his beauty is such that the men are ready to have their throats cut for his sake. Alayhi salatu wasalam. How are you going to understand what that means if you've never had this? If you've never experienced the 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 ecstatic joy of this this thing? It's actually literally it's a deficiency in in your humanity. And, uh, uh, you know, for that reason, a person should look forward to this thing, should plan for it, should try to execute it in the best way possible. And that means practically a couple of things. One thing that really breaks my heart to admit is what? I'm the first person, I'm the first person, if I had a choice, I would say, haram, don't talk to a girl, don't talk to a guy, haram, stuff. I would, I would say that. Let your parents uh, fix it up for you, match it up for you. The fact of the matter is that the age we live in, I've seen this, the parents that are in Cairo and in Damascus and in Karachi and in Delhi and in Kabul and these places are not able to find suitable matches for their children. What are you going to do in like whatever, Sharon, Ohio? <laughs> right? What ends up happening is kind of a farce. Usually people from very conservative families, they'll find someone that they want to marry and then they'll tell their parents and after a brief period of intense consternation, they'll now say, okay, fine, let the boy come and his family come to my house and they'll go through this like dramatic kabuki theater of like making it look like an arranged marriage and then they'll get married. Whatever. I like without comment to any of those things. If you find somebody that you want to marry, okay, get your brothers, get your act together. You got to think, her, her pops is going to ask me, how are you going to pay the rent? You should have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you should get to the point where you have a plan. There's a zero step that has to happen before you can even get to that point, which is what? If you're a male above the age of 14, treat it as if it's haram to ask your parents for money. Treat it as if haram to ask anyone for money, ever. Someone's like, well, Sheikh, I can't go to college if my father doesn't pay my tuition. Okay, halas. Don't ask for a cent more than that. 
work, do work, something in, in exchange for it. Don't throw a fit when your father says no. He doesn't owe you anything. Now you're an adult. You're a grown man. You're a grown blank man. Right? You should be giving back at this point. This is one thing I really lament. You know how some people, they'll like, they'll everything in their life, they'll eat the machine slaughtered chicken without blinking an eye. When it comes to the zikr of Allah Ta'ala, they flip out and become bid'ah police or whatever, right? Everyone, whenever you talk about, whenever you talk about the, 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 the cultural legacy of this civilization, right? The ash'ar of the mashaykh, Fariduddin Atar, his futuwat nama. It's written in Persian, everyone's like, ah, oh, bid'ah, right? Fariduddin Atar was from Nishapur. He was considered from the ulama of Nishapur. You know who else is from Nishapur? Imam Muslim. You don't become a, a, a considered an alim in a place like that by being a good speaker. Like if you haven't memorized more books than a man can carry, you're not even like, nobody's even going to like allow you to give the Jummah khutbah in, in those places. Right? So Atar has his futu atama. He mentions all of these things that if you're a man, one of the things he mentioned, never ask anything from anyone. Right? This is a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu that the, you know, Hakim bin Hizam, he said that ever since the Prophet Sallallahu told us not to ask, said, even the shiraq al-na'al, even the, 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 the leather strap for a, for a sandal, I never asked from somebody. Right? Okay, first that. Then you have to have a plan. Like, uh, her father is going to ask me, like, how are you going to take care of my daughter? You have to have a plan, okay? You may not be able to put her in like a palace, but you have to have a plan how are you going to pay rent? gas how is she going to continue her school if she's still in school how are you going to like continue your school if you're still in school i'm not saying that you have to like wait till you're like a doctor and have a house bought before you can get married fine class you want to get married when you're a student you want to get married when you're in high school you want to get married when you're in middle school if you don't have a plan no one's going to say yes right so you have to have you have to have a plan that you and your 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 family can show face in front of her father and and make a, a proposal. At that point, at that point, if they say no, is your life over? It's probably going to feel like it's over, I'll be honest with you. But is it really over? No. Many people will not go and ask. Why? Because they're abject fear, cowardice of being rejected. You know, if they say no, it's not like you went and robbed a liquor store. If they said no, it's not like you exposed your nakedness in front of everybody in public and like ran around screaming. Those are shameful things. I apologize. Please forgive me for like these aesthetically unpleasing examples. Unfortunately, <laughs> oftentimes they're necessary in order to drive a point home. You didn't do that. You did something noble. You did something honorable. All of the reward for the life you would have lived together, for the children you would have had together, for the, the, the benefits in your deen and her deen that you intended by going to her father's house and subjecting yourself uh, and uh, opening yourself up to be hurt like you just were hurt. Right? All of that. Right? You get the reward for it. Why? Because your intention was good. And who knows, you know, maybe there is khair. Maybe it wasn't a good thing for you to marry this one. But because you went through that for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala will lead you to the, uh, to the house that, 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 that you belong, your marriage proposal belongs in. And you yourself will later realize, Alhamdulillah, Allah saved me from it because she turned out to be some sort of like a homicidal axe murderer that like, you know, uh, uh, whatever, stomped out like small animals. You know, like, I don't know, Right? So the point is, is this, is that, but you have to, you have to get, you have to get to that, that point. For the, for, for the, the sisters also, uh, you also have to, uh, uh, you know, see that that person who comes to your, uh, to, comes to you and talks to you about deen, that that person is serious. Part of it, we mentioned the financial entailments about paying rent. Part of it is the deeny entailments about, about, uh, um, what you call uh, about uh, praying five times a day and fasting and observing at least a minimal modicum of Islam. 
And after that, know that Islam is many things. The ibadat of Islam is one module of it. Right? Fasting, praying, and things like that. That's not all what Islam, what Islam is. It's a module of Islam. It's an important one, but it is a module of Islam. Another module of Islam is the aqaid of a person. Another module of Islam is their mu'amalat. You know, if they're praying five times a day and like finishing Quran every other night, but their you know, income is from like running a liquor store, then their mu'amalat are not clean. Right? That's another module of Islam you have to look at. Right? What's another module of Islam? Right? Like, is the aqaid, what does it mean? Right? They could be like, have a wonderful beard and pray real good, and you know, like they're like whatever halal income, but like, you know, they take their deen from the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and like master, master fraud and all this other stuff. Like, it's not fair. It's not dead on arrival, completely dead on arrival. Right? It has nothing to do with the skin color or whatever. It has to do with the facade of the aqaid, right? And then, what is the next module of deen? A person's tasawwuf. A person's tazkiyah, right? What is the state of their heart? Do they do what they do out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Admittedly, this is more difficult to tell, but you should also think about it. What is the state of their heart? That do they worship Allah ta'ala because it's what everyone else is doing? It is, but do they actually have inside of their heart a love for, the, uh, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And what's the, what's the, the, the fifth module that I wanted to uh, uh, mention? Is there mu'asharat? How are they? This, these, these, this is deen. We're talking about deen right now. We're not talking about dunya yet. Okay, their mu'ashat, how is that person with their mother? How are they with their father? How are they with their brothers and sisters? How are they with their uh, uh, nieces and nephews? How are they with their elders? How are they with their youngers? How are, are they able to like, you know, these social relationships, some of which are hierarchical, some of which are egalitarian, are they able to uh, maintain them properly? This is also part of the deen. So yes, you have to like look at that person's deen, is it? Is it good enough? You have to look at, can they pay uh, uh, the, uh, you know, whatever <laughs> expenses involved in sustaining a wife properly. On top of that, are they, how invested are they in you? If, a, if, if a, a boy is not willing to take a marriage proposal to your father, then they're not willing to invest. Why? Because they're more afraid of saving their own skin from rejection than they are in treating you with honor. Why should they treat you with honor? You're, after all, the mother of their children. They're just humiliating their own children. If the point of having this guy around from a very zoological perspective is that they help you rear your offspring, well, they just failed. Okay? So many things. Sheikh, you know, we were in love and he loved me and his sister messed the whole thing up. And I'm like, look, if he can't, if he if he doesn't love you enough to defend you from his sister, right? He doesn't really love you as much as you think he does. Okay, he has to be willing to invest invest something, throw some skin in the game, you know, take take some harm in order to protect you. If he can't do that, then he's not. I mean, he, he may be good for the like, okay, if we marry, it's halal for us to do it. But all the other benefits we talked about, none of them are going to be there. That's even going to be ruined later on when you realize that he doesn't have any any uh, responsibility toward you. Right? What, 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 what does it mean? Right? What does it mean? And this is for both men and women, but generally speaking, the women should be a little bit more cautious about this. And this is the last thing I want to say before opening up, and, uh, opening up for questions and answers. And I apologize for having gone on longer than I intended to speak. Which is that once you find the person that you wish to marry, the two of you agree with one another, uh, that you wish to marry, and that uh, you know there's some understanding, and it looks like this thing is going to happen. Okay, there's a there's a there's a type of uh, I'll use the word magic. Why? Because it it could be a spiritually good thing, but it doesn't need to be. Okay, there's a type of magic between a man and a woman. 
right? When they have a relationship with one another, there is something, much of which has to do with like neuro stuff, but some of which is spiritual as well. And spiritual doesn't mean good or bad. Spiritual is what it is. Just like physical doesn't mean good or bad. If you do something good physically, it's good. And if you do something bad, it's bad. Right? Hitler was a very spiritual person. The guy went on like tirades for like uh, mesmerizing tirades for hours at a time. People were spiritually drawn in uh, by him as if he's like Dajjal Shaitan himself, you know. And they would like go on these tirades without a blink. It was very spiritual. You can't do that without having some sort of spiritual power and charisma. But it was evil. Right? So yes, there's something spiritual about the, the magic between a man and a woman. Okay? How do you make that magic uh, uh, Mubarak, Baraka and blessed by the Lord? And how do, you, how do you waste it away? You make it Mubarak by saving it for when Allah is pleased with you. Because when a husband and a wife love each other and are happy with each other, Allah Ta'ala is the third one who's happy with them. And if you are just boyfriend, girlfriend, and being engaged is boyfriend, girlfriend. Until your nikah is done, it's, that, that's all it is. Okay? If you spend that time, you chat each other up, emoji each other up for hours of the day and night, so magically, right? And you talk to each other and you compliment her and she compliments you and you buy things for her and she buys things for you and you do things for her and she does things for you, etc., etc. If you do that and you're not married, then the best case scenario is you wasted it and it's gone now. Whereas if you invested it in the halal, waited until after you were married, then this not only becomes enjoyment in your dunya, it also becomes an act of piety uh, that, that will be saved for you to be rewarded in the akhirah. And if you're married, if you make it through this life without trying to kill each other and like trying to like call lawyers on each other and whatnot, then you'll also be married on the other side as well. And Allah Ta'ala, all of the times, you know, that he forgot your anniversary or that all of the times that she invited her like annoying sister over and you were just trying to sleep or whatever, like oh, whatever things that happen, you'll for, Allah will cause you to like, like get over all of that, you know, on that time and you'll be together forever. You miss that. You miss that if you, if you, uh, if you wasted away. Uh, if the sisters weren't here, I would use more descriptive adjectives, but there is something called chivalry that a person should try to behave a little bit i know i'm not doing a great job at it but like you know you should try to behave a little bit and speak differently when there are sisters present um uh, but the point is is that 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 what is that if you wasted away you wasted something you'll never be able to retrieve you'll never be able to get back one of the tragedies of kufr is that what ends up happening is that this process this magical process of a man and woman falling in love with each other this is very much part of the one man one woman or at least like one man limited number of women uh, uh, model that human beings are differentiated with by from from the other animals right and people commit zina their whole life what ends up happening is the magic of it goes away right the oxytocin rush of making love with the person that you actually love like by the like what are 27th partner or something like that it's just not there anymore like it's gone or it's so like severely stunted mitigated it's like a part of your, your humanity you're not going to be able to retrieve uh, you can ask Allah to forgive you and help you and definitely Allah Ta'ala, if you make sincere repentance, He will give you something in its stead on, on the Day of Judgment, but in this world you're probably not going to get it back. Right? You don't want to, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to waste it away. Um, when, even if it's not in a haram way, you don't want to waste it away in, in a way that's not spiritually uh, beneficial to you. This being said, generally speaking, although it does happen the other way, uh, other way around sometimes, 
boys will lead you on and they'll try to have this enjoyment with you without actually having spoken to your father and without actually having like had a nikah and all this other stuff. And when it's time to bounce, trust me, they're going to bounce. So don't give this thing to them. If you gave it away, that was a choice on your, on your part. You know, if you realize later on that it was a mistake, then don't make the mistake again. And if you make Tawbah, Allah forgive you and stuff like that. This is, this is your, your choice. Why? Because for zoological reasons we mentioned from before, men, it's very easy for them to do this uh, catch and release uh, type of model, uh, which is dehumanizing for them as well. But the consequences will be more pronounced on the day of judgment than they will be in this world. So if a man is not actually willing to talk to your father, if he's not actually willing to behave with you in such a way that he doesn't like have to run away from your brothers because of like uh, threats of physical violence and shame and things like that, um, no matter how much he pretends like he loves you and how much his eyes are like you know puppy dog eyes and all this other nonsense, it's not. I I swear to you, there's no benefit in it. There's no khair in it. There's no benefit in it. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala find for all of you good, upright, upright and pious spouses that will be your protection for each other in this world and in the hereafter and that you eat halal you skip the machine slaughtered chicken and you eat halal and you uh, eyes look at the halal and your ears listen to the halal and you uh, you know your love that you share with one another feel free never to talk about it with anyone else because gross and like don't but whatever it is that nobody else ever finds out about. That it should be halal, it should be good, and it should be joy, it should be happiness. And one day it culminates in what? That you say, whisper to each other softly in each other's ears, Allahumma jannibna shaytana wa shaytana ma razaqtana. And that the ummah be filled with, with those children that grow up that will redeem it from the morass of garbage it's come into. And that there be those people from that, that they do the good deeds, you'll be in your grave. You guys are part of the problem, not part of the solution. Right? You know what I mean? But they'll, they'll fix it. Why? Because you initiated, you put the seed into the, into the ground, metaphorically and literally, for, uh, for what? For that solution to happen. You'll be in your grave. They'll do good deeds. It will keep running on your record. And it will be something that is a source of pride for all of us in this world and in the hereafter. On the day of judgment, it will be a source of pride for all of us in this world and the hereafter. That you live a hayat and tayyibah, you live happily uh, and uh, in this world with honor and with dignity for the number of days Allah has written for you. And then you live happily with dignity forever in the hereafter. Isn't it so much better than swiping left and swiping right and all this other nonsense? Shaitan makes it look so elegant and whatever. The fact of the matter is, if you were to on a, a Friday night get dressed up and do your hair and do your uh, whatever and iron your clothes and makeup and uh, you know whatever shoes and go to a club and wait in line and whatever and spend a hundred dollars on drinks and dance the whole night what are you going to do at the end of it it's like completely shaitan shows something that you think oh look there's so much glamour and so much uh, uh enjoyment in it and it's all a mirage there's even the one thing you wanted out of it you're not going to get it or it will be of such sub quality go look outside this is not a nice thing to say in public go look outside from the the children of kufr may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from them and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala redeem them as well from the mistakes of their forefathers. That those children that, you know, the people outside right now that are doing all these crazy things, you know, that are at like whatever rallies, chanting locker up and all this other nonsense, right? How many of them, their parents read the dua before when they were conceived and how many of them, their parents were drunk? Don't think you're better than them. Allah ta'ala can, you know, arrogance is worse than being conceived while drunk. But... 
you know, you need, you know, think about it that, that this is your goal that you will somehow receive this gift from Allah subhanahu wa, subhanahu wa ta'ala through using the, the means that are clean and that are pure. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it goodness for you and for them as well. They'll all benefit from it. Allah ta'ala give all of us uh, the tawfiq uh, 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 to make it happen. Sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.